Hey everybody, I'm really excited, as usual, about today's episode. I talked with Tony Wang and we had a really great conversation all about transformation and getting to the root of negative thought patterns. Ooh, one of my favorite topics. Tony shares his perspective that although there's this prevailing myth that change is a hard, slow, and even arduous process, the reality is when you're truly ready, transformation can happen in an instant. Oh, and listen to the end for Tony's recommendation for a better than sriracha alternative and his take on ordering In-N-Out fries. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Tony Wang. All right, welcome to the Building Thinkers podcast. Today I'm joined by Tony Wang and I'm so excited to be digging in. I think we're going to be talking all things. One of the things that I wrote down was negative mental patterns and rewiring those and thinking about as entrepreneurs, as leaders, some of the things that maybe get us stuck. Tony's going to help us get unstuck a little bit and think through some of the things that um, we can do and shift and some of the things that he's learned in over his career and the things that he is working on. So Tony, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to dig into this conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm super excited as well. Awesome. Well, we will jump right in and building thinkers. We like to hear a little bit about your story and if you can take us into what you build now, um, however you want to get there, what's some of your background that's brought you to the work that you're doing? Sure. Yeah, I'll keep it um, as short as I can because there's like a like an hour version of this and like a five minute version. So I'll, I'll keep it brief. But um... no, you can go somewhere in between. It's okay to give <laughs> us some of the nuance. Cool. Well, my background is in science. I was a chemistry major in in college, and I always thought I wanted to go down that route. My dad's a chemist. He was a professor. Uh, he worked at Harvard, and uh, now he has his own pharmaceutical uh, research company. So for me, it was just like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I uh, was just like, yeah, dad's a chemist. I'm going to do chemistry too. Makes sense. Um, and I was decent at it. Like I, I published a paper in the Journal of Organic Chemistry, but it was mainly just doing it because I thought, you know, that's a good career path. So when I was about to graduate college, I got this internship and then I only attended the first day of the internship because I got so sick. I felt this pain in my gut and I had to go to the hospital. I ended up staying in the hospital for two weeks and I was diagnosed with a uh, chronic inflammatory gut illness at the age of uh, 20 or 21. Um, and that just like, completely changed my, uh, my view on life because it just really made me reflect on, you know, do I really want to be pursuing a career that I'm not that passionate about with you know, life being so precious is what I kind of the conclusion I came to. So then after that, I um, decided, all right, I'm not going to do anything with chemistry anymore. I'm going to do online marketing. And I had some projects like I, I used to sell knives for Cutco. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that was like my first sales experience. I'm like, okay, selling is cool. I can make money. I'll kind of write my own paycheck with, uh, with sales. And then I had some online marketing experience as well. I sold a skateboarding ebook when I was in college. Um, did okay, but like helped me get some money for uh, for beers and tuition. Um, so I thought, okay, you know what? Screw this chemistry thing. I'm just going to go all in with internet marketing. I was 21 at the time, so I was just very bold, and I struggled a lot for the first. Um, for the first year and a half and it was just completely the opposite of what I expected because I thought if I just do this full-time I could really just 
put my heart and my mind into it and make it work. But after a year and a half, I was living month to month in LA, just you know, barely making enough money to uh, pay my rent and have food. And I had another flare up of my, um, my gut thing. So I had to go to the hospital again, this time for a month. It was just really bad. And that's when I really decided to just step back and look at my life and look at ways to, of healing, uh, not just kind of like the superficial like um, forms with medication or like diet or foods, but more deeper, emotional, spiritual, mental healing. And that's when I discovered the works of a clinical psychologist and spiritual research from, uh, researcher from Serbia named Dr. Jivarad Slavinsky, uh, who's now passed away. But his books just fascinated me because he was able to help people remove uh, emotional and some physical problems very, very, very fast. And for me, my emotional problem was I was just really stressed all the time because I, I had all this pressure on myself to um, make this uh, career thing work. And I think just part of my personality, how I was raised, always try to you know, be really good at things, kind of be like an achiever. So just all this stress, and that was kind of related to my illness as well. And yeah, and then after finding uh, Dr. Slavinsky's work, I hired a coach who was uh, trained in his methodologies, and that just changed my life, where I was able to get to the root of many of the um, mental, emotional issues that I was experiencing that I wasn't even aware of. And from there, in three months, my business took off. I started making uh, more money than I could ever imagine. And then I kind of just put all my energy into growing my business and being financially successful, which over the years, uh, I achieved that, but it was at the cost of my kind of like the work-life balance, my relationships. Again, I, I started getting more stressed because even though it was going well, I was just putting all my time and energy into my business. Eventually, I got my business to eight figures, um, I think over $25 million but it, I wasn't happy and I thought I would be happy. Mm. So that's when I had to kind of go back and look inside and, and that started this other journey for me of, um, of just diving deep into my emotions, my thoughts, and that kind of led me to uh, a boga, a plant medicine, I don't know if you've heard of it, I have not. Okay. It's not an area of expertise that I have, so enlighten us. Sure, yeah. So a lot of people have heard of ayahuasca, and it's a, uh, it's a plant medicine that helps people connect with their heart and connect with the universe. Uh, aboga is, um, is different in that it takes you inside of your, like your deepest subconscious, your psyche, and just really makes you sit there with that. So a lot of like fears, a lot of stuff you've been uh, just not wanting to take a look at, like that stuff, you're just face to face with it and there's no escape for 10 hours. And like the opposite of numbing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, I was raised in a Chinese household. My parents were immigrants. Uh, we were very emotionally closed off. So I never really expressed my emotions that much and uh, neither did they. And we kind of lacked, I kind of lacked an emotional connection with people growing up. So I was cut off from my own emotions as well. And uh, over time, it was just this constant suppression, 
And now that I have a baby, I see how babies just don't have that mechanism. Like when they're angry, they're just fully angry. When they're happy, they're fully happy. It's, it's really incredible to see. I love it. But yeah. I realized none of we- the emotions have labels at that point of being good or bad, negative or positive. It's just, I feel this and therefore I am. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I love it so much. Yeah. It's just so pure. Um, but over time, of course, in order to, to kind of function in the world, we need to start suppressing emotions, suppressing thoughts, and just the accumulation of that can create emotional challenges for people. And for me, that's, that was the case. And uh, Aboga helped me gain a lot of clarity around that area. And one of the, my takeaways was that um, like feelings are just feelings. Even something as scary as like fear, panic, uh, you know, terror, we, we associate that with something like, oh, this thing happened in the world. Uh, this thing's happening in my life. It's so, it's, it's so bad. I don't want it to happen. But at the end of the day, it's just a feeling that we have inside. And, and we can dissolve that feeling by being present with it. Even though it's uncomfortable, if we just sit, if we're present with it, let it move through us, it goes away. Just like how when a kid cries, they can be bawling their eyes out. And then three seconds later, they're smiling again. Right, right. Yeah, but we kind of like, as we get older, we start hanging on to a lot of these emotions and then they cause, they can cause illnesses, but they just cause this mental suffering, mental emotional suffering in our lives. So after that experience, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to work on business anymore for the sake of making money, which was my intention before. Now I want to build a business to help other people make this realization and help them overcome their own emotional challenges. So that's how I got into uh, the stuff I do now. Wonderful. Wow. That is an amazing story. Okay. There's so many ways we could go. There's a couple that come to mind. And one thing, um, this is in Susan David's Emotional Agility. Here's a quote from her book. And so she says, who's in charge, the thinker or the thought? Are we managing our own lives according to our own values and what's important to us? Or are we simply being carried along by the tide? And so in her work, you know, it was helpful for me in giving that space. Another commonly quoted author around this is Viktor Frankl when he talks about between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And I was thinking about that in preparation for our conversation is it sounds like you help people understand that space. They have the, but not just that space, the emotion and, and the roots that are underneath. And I guess in, in Viktor Frankl's terms, that's the stimulus. So between the stimulus, the emotions and the circumstances, there's space for our response. And this is language I use with my eight-year-old and five-year-old, right? With five-year-old does something to eight-year-old, eight-year-old like stimulus has happened and there should be some space. Now, right now that space is really, really small because they like are quick to act. But as we can notice and name that space and think about what we do during that, I mean, even Daniel Tiger talks about like, it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hurt someone. And so it is in that moment and the space that those feelings, um, what we do with them. What do you think about this idea of who's in charge, the thinker or the thought and anything you want to speak to about that space? Yeah, I, I love that. That's a great insight. And 
um, in my work with clients, the, the ultimate goal is getting them to realize that there is that space and they are ultimately in control, even though it may not feel like it. So, you know, a lot of us um, have heard someone say like, oh, Joe pissed me off, right? Like Joe was responsible for me being angry. And a lot of people in the world just think how that that is like when your kid, uh, when your you said five-year-old hits your eight-year-old, your eight-year-old believes that his emotions are being caused by his brother. Um, but if we look at what happened, it's, it's exactly like you said, the, the stimulus response. Uh, Joe said something that I didn't like. He said something rude or whatever. And that, and then I felt angry. And the, the, key, the key here is taking responsibility for that anger, realizing that it doesn't matter whose fault it is, whether it's justified or not. All that matters is I responded with anger. And just having that distinction alone, having that awareness gives you this power of knowing that, okay, even though it could be unconscious sometimes how I respond, but ultimately it's me that decided to respond with anger. And we can take this a step further. It's not just emotions, it's also thoughts. We also make decisions based on what happened to us. So a negative past experience or trauma usually results in us making a, a decision about that. Like this happened, therefore it means blah, 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 blah. And then we live our whole lives according to that one core decision. We build other decisions and beliefs on top of it. And then we have this like messy problem uh, later on, all based on that one decision that we created. So going back to your uh, original question, the thinker versus the thought, I feel that where we have thoughts, we experience thoughts, but that doesn't mean that's who we are. It doesn't mean that's the ultimate reality. Um, so yeah, so identifying with thoughts is kind of the, the tricky part that right. keeps us stuck. So is this a sequential thing in your mind that, for example, I've done four years of therapy, so I've done a lot of self-awareness work, and is, to, to me, like I have a language now, even in my friendships and an awareness of myself, the way I respond, I'm way better for my clients because I have an awareness of what they need and how I'm showing up to that to provide what they need. Or if I'm not the right person to provide what they need, I can see that much better now. But what I'm wondering is, do you see if it is any sort of, I know it's not fully linear, or at least in my experience, it's been much more like this. But is there a piece that first is this self-awareness of understanding things like what we're talking about here, that these, these emotions are not, you know, something necessarily to fight, but something to understand, recognize, and be aware of first. One of the things my own therapist has said to me is, you know, emotions are neither positive or negative, even though we have like fear and uncertainty and some of these things that we feel, we, we classify as negative, but what if that fear is telling you that you really value, let's say I'm nervous about some conversation I'm going to have or some um, facilitation opportunity. And that fear signals to me that I really value doing good work and I really value making an impact for my client. And in that kind of reframe, there is this awareness. So again, what I think I'm getting at here is in your mind, is it sequential that awareness is first and yeah, I'll just stop there. <laughs>
Well, I, first of all, I agree 100% with what you said, that emotions, um, you know, we can label them good or bad. And I'll use positive and negative all the time when I'm describing them because most people, they don't want to feel certain emotions and they want to feel other ones. And that's just, you know, we, we're all kind of that way. We have preferences. But at the end of the day, the negative emotions are trying to tell us something. They're trying to tell us something to avoid uh, where we're not acting in alignment with, <clears throat> you know, what we want, where we're not setting boundaries. They're, they're kind of symbols of that. And the paradox is in order to clear those emotions, we have to stop resisting them. It's like, don't think of a pink elephant. When you try not to do something, it happens. Or that uh, the Chinese finger trap where the harder you pull, the, the more your fingers get stuck. So it's like when you're fighting, when you're suppressing, when you're resisting these emotions, you're just going to create more of it. So the key is to um, allow yourself to feel them without resistance, which is very difficult for a lot of people because, you know, we, we believe that if we fully feel this fear or sadness, you know, it's going to be painful. Uh, but if you actually do it, the feeling isn't painful. It's the resistance that's painful. And the other thing is emotions and thoughts are related. So when you feel, let's say, anger, you're, you're angry at someone, you just allow yourself to feel that anger, your mind starts having all these angry thoughts about how this person wronged you, you know, how, how awful they are, all these thoughts. And the challenge there is to not believe those thoughts and just keep feeling the emotions until it passes. Um, but there's something else you said there that was really interesting, and that was um, the emotions are, I think you said, they're giving you more awareness into uh, kind of like your, your personality or, or like your goals, something like that. Like what matters to right. you, you like right, your values, the values. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so one of the core ideas in my teachings is underneath thoughts and emotions, there's actually a, another layer of who we are. And because we know we're not our thoughts and emotions, or you know, some of us do, that we're, we're, you know, the, we're, we're behind those. But behind I think that, that's a piece of that initial awareness that I'm talking about. I think some people don't know that yet. Right. They think when I have this thought that I'm a failure, they think they're a failure. Yeah. Right. That that thought is like once they believe that it's true instead of this is just a thought like uh, momentum is messy is one of my own soundtracks. And so instead of like that was a failure, I say momentum is messy. And, and that's mm. a piece of making progress to go forward. It's kind of like at least I tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone thinks I am a failure, the reason they don't like that is because that thought, that belief also triggers a negative emotional response of, um, I don't know what we can call it, but let's say, let's just say sadness. That's maybe the core, not, not good enough feeling. Yeah. And then it's maybe like disappointment, grief for a lost opportunity, maybe depending on what it is. Yeah. There's like, a, you know, a ton of ways we can label it, uh, but it's that feeling that they're resisting. And if they just allow themselves to, to feel that feeling, then the thought I'm a failure just is it, it like, it's just kind of more neutral. Um, but below thoughts and emotions are our identities. And identities are really interesting because it's something we kind of all like, we all know what they are, but it's, it goes so much deeper than we think because we can identify as like, I'm a teacher, I'm a podcast guest, I'm a father, whatever, right? Like roles we play. Um, I'm a man, I'm a woman, but we also identify as, let's say a failure. 
like, you know, like unconsciously I can identify as a failure. I think the core of who I really am is a failure or I can, I can think that I'm a shy person. Who I really am is a shy person. And the reason we take on identities is to accomplish a particular goal. Uh, so you kind of alluded to this when you were saying that our thoughts and emotions, um, they, they point us towards our values. So I would say that our thoughts and emotions, they can point us to what identities we're being in a moment and the identity points us to our goal, like what do we want to accomplish? So for instance, um, let's say I'm feeling uh, in a social situation, I'm feeling really nervous, I'm feeling um, like shut off, closed off, and in that moment, I'm a shy person. And the goal of me being a shy person is actually to avoid uh, negative attention, avoid embarrassment. And let's say when I was a young kid, I had an incident where um, this was before I was shy. I was actually a uh, like a star, the center of attention. But then one day, I, I, I messed up uh, in, in front of a school play or something, and then um, everyone started laughing at me, and I was confused. I was embarrassed, and in that moment, I made a decision. I don't want to feel humiliation, so I take on the identity of a shy person in order to meet that goal. So as a shy person, so it's like self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there, there's certain goals that are for self-preservation, the ones related to more fear. Um, but, you know, we have lots of unconscious goals that we want to create and then we'll create identities for those. And then with those identities, we have thoughts and emotions related to those. So what I'm getting at here is if we really want to clear uh, unwanted thoughts and emotions that don't serve us, one of the most effective ways to do that is looking at the underlying identities rather than trying to change our behaviors, rather than trying to change the thoughts and emotions themselves. Mm. Okay. It's making me think, um, one of the books I recently read is called Soundtracks by John Acuff. And he, he goes to the place of um, trying to recognize the soundtracks and usually the, the negative ones, the ones we want to change, the things that play in our mind. Um, recognize those and and then basically rewrite them and integrate those in and i have found that as a really helpful you know that's where momentum is messy came from some of those shifts but you're saying go deeper and further in that and maybe this is where you get to some of the speed and so i'm sure you have the cynic that's like you can't do four years of therapy in you know a couple coaching sessions but according to your website you can. <laughs> and so I'm curious, you know, what is it, maybe let's go deeper into either if you want to go into framework of what you step people through or deeper into that identity work. Is there a place for therapy and for this? Maybe let's start there. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to knock off therapy. I, um, I think, you know, it, it's very valuable for a lot of people um, in my own experience and what I hear from a lot of clients, it just doesn't go deep enough. Um, and that makes sense, you know, like everyone has different beliefs, values, and therapists, they, they try not to like impose their own uh, systems mm -hmm. for people. So that's why people that I work with, um, they pay me so that it's kind of like a, you know, an energetic ex exchange of like, I am ready to do this and mm -hmm. I'll do whatever it takes to overcome this, this problem. But as far as the framework, a big part of it is... I would say the fundamental part is just non-resistance, not resisting things you normally resist because it's resistance that creates problems. Uh, like if we look at what a problem really is, 
a lot of people will say, oh, this is a problem because this thing isn't going well in my life. Like, I want it to be this way, but it's actually this way. Mm. Um, but I would say that it's only a problem because you're resisting it not being the way you want. Mm. And that resistance creates this emotional charge and you don't like that charge. So you try to change this external situation so that that charge is gone, you're not triggered anymore. But another way to do it is to be able to release this charge first, and then you just have more energy, more clarity to change whatever your external situation, if you still care to do that. Okay, I maybe have an example for us, and yes. I wasn't sure if I was gonna be brave or not, but I think I'll be brave, and I can always edit it later if I want. Okay, so let's say, um, so an area that I've spent a lot of time working on for myself is perfectionism. And I remember, so what drew me into therapy four years ago was anxiety. And I thought anxiety was very work-related. Of Long story short, we got to many other kind of core and root issues that are connected and have experienced a lot of healing and anxiety. I've also done a lot of gut work as a side note that I think was very interconnected. Um, but as much progress as I have made, perfectionism is still something that I have to consciously um, work against in some ways, this, which makes me feel the resistance is still there in some ways. And one of the things I remember from early days of therapy was I was afraid, and maybe still am, that if I stopped being a perfectionist, that I would no longer be successful. I think that is at part of the root of I have a record of success, got my, my master's 4.0, and played lacrosse in college and you know these things but the elusive like uh balance side of it has always been challenging you referenced this and i don't know that i believe there is exactly balance but it's much more seasons and i've, I've done a lot of work to be present one of the things i like around that that's helpful is be where your feet are so again lots and lots of progress i would still say that perfectionism limits me from sharing as much as I want to share in my work. Like I will hold content longer because it has to be just right. The sources have to be right before it goes out. It's much easier to do work for my clients and publish their content in the learning experience design work that I do than to build my own, right? Because if it's my own and I'm a learning experience expert, it has to be like really right and fully aligned to all of the current research, right? But then people in my conversations with my clients all the time are like, you have all this knowledge and everything. And so there is still this piece, I would say perfectionism. And one of the things that you said on your site is eliminate perfectionism, procrastination and analysis paralysis, be able to take focused action without that inner resistance. Um, and then one other connected thing I think is you said, there's a myth that changes hard, slow, and even arduous. But the reality is when you're truly ready, it can happen in an instant. So I'm sure there's other perfectionists out there. I know I have some listeners and friends who are perfectionists. What do you say to us? Or where would you take us through? You don't have to, like, whatever okay. makes the most sense to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So uh, if you were a client of mine, I would take you through uh, a process I call Integra Protocol. And that process um, basically allows you to integrate conflicting identities. So... It sounds like you have an identity of a perfectionist, and then the goal of that perfectionist is to, um, uh, I guess, uh, achieve or succeed or deliver incredible work uh, or 
you know, there could be whatever it is for you. I'm just kind of guessing here, or it could be to not be seen as a failure, to not whatever that is for you. And then you have this other goal of um, wanting to share your work, wanting to just get stuff out there, wanting to be prolific. And they're kind of conflicting because you can't really be prolific if you're taking so long to share your work. Or maybe another goal is to have more time for things, like have more time to do new things. So whatever those conflicting goals are, we would try to find. And we find those by starting you, by having you feel um, maybe a situation where the the perfectionism gets triggered like an example in the, from the past or something you imagine where you just feel like you, you can't move forward until it's 100% perfect. And then we start with that emotional response. And then from that emotional response, how do you feel what identity you're in? You know, it could be perfectionist, could be something else, however you want to word it. And then from that identity, um, be, uh, have you verbalize the goals of that identity? Basically, what are you trying to achieve as you take on the perfectionist and then also the beliefs and the conclusions of that identity Uh, so there's this whole process for it and then we do that with the other side of instead of a perfectionist what do you want to be instead Mm -hmm. Um, because a perfectionist it's like it's not like completely bad it's obviously served you yeah I have language for that piece I'd rather be a high achiever like I I still want to do great work for my clients and part of uh, our building thinkers motto is unleashing human potential through learning experiences that are full of joy, rooted in research and experienced in communities. So the desire is for the work to, to help more people, to unleash more human potential, whether it's leaders or, you know, different organizations, nonprofits, education, corporate, you know, it, to, to help them to their end goal. Sure. Right. And I can definitely see how those two are conflicting a little bit if you want to help people. So ultimately, it's it's a process I guide you through. And it's never me imposing my own agenda, like you should think like this, you should think like that, but getting you to realize your own uh, unconscious goals, beliefs around these two different identities. And through that awareness, you'll be able to release some of that inner tension and how we know we succeeded at the end is I have you think about um, whatever problem we started with, in this case, uh, how perfectionism is hurting you, and you just feel like it's not a big deal. Like you can think about it and it's like, there's no emotional um, memory of it almost. It feels like it's something that happened to someone else. Uh, so that's that's you know what we consider a success, and sometimes it takes a handful of processes, sometimes it just takes one, kind of depends on just what's going on in your mind. That is awesome. Do you have any um, examples or stories of somebody that comes to mind um, that you've worked with that, you know, maybe a little bit of their story where you've seen success? I know you have case studies on your site and we'll make sure we link all of that so people can go deeper and further. But anything that has stood out to you from from the work that you've been doing? So I, I had a client, let's just call him Dan. And uh, Dan was struggling with, he called it self-sabotage, where he would, he, he knew was, he was competent, he was capable, and he was putting in all this work and energy into his projects. But when he got to the, the, like the 10-yard line, he would just freeze and not go through because he felt like something was just holding him back. Um, so I took him through many of the processes that I just described to kind of clear uh, the charge around it and to get to the the root cause, the identities that are keeping, um, keeping him kind of stuck. 
And what it came down to, his, his realization was, I think he had one experience where he, he achieved something really big, and then uh, after that, he let people down. He couldn't meet their expectations, something like that. I forget exactly what yes. it was, but it doesn't really matter. Um, all that matters is he held that, he created that identity, and that identity <clears throat> was like uh, what you said earlier about self-preservation. So it just got triggered. Um, mm whenever he was in a similar situation because that's how our unconscious kind of works where we're just always looking at okay what do i want to achieve and what's the best identity for this, this situation mm, so after we were able to clear that then he would he just got unstuck one of the things that that made me think is i, I can't remember if i read this i think it was seth godin who talked about he's got a lot of prolific marketing books and things like that but he talked about how once he became a successful author, I think he, once he hit New York times, then it was, you would think that's like, I've made it. And now I can like release and just write from the overflow of love. Right. But instead he found more resistance because now he was expected to do more. Now let's do it again. And so that's what I hear in your client testimonial too, is once there is this kind of record of success, then it's an expectation that you'll go and do more. And um, so the pressure gets put on maybe in a different way than we would think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, a lot of people, um, you know, everyone talks about fear of failure, but fear of success is mm -hmm. just as real. This reminds me of another client I worked with who he, he was able to scale his business uh, really, really, really quickly. Basically, he doubled, more than doubled his income in like 90 days um, from 100K a month to a quarter, almost a quarter million a month. And the reason he was able to do that so fast was because he was already doing all the right things. Like he was working his butt off, he had the right systems, he had the right people, and all he had to, all he had to do was just increase his ad spend for ads and hire like two new salespeople. That's all he had to do, and he knew that too. But he just felt this block because he feared that if he did get to that point, that there's gonna be all this extra responsibility that he has yeah. to take on, that now he's gonna be responsible for um, his employees and their uh, their salaries and if he messes up it's just going to be you know devastating at this larger scale and that belief was just preventing him from doing what he needed to get to that financial goal which is something that he had been working towards for years so mm -hmm. sometimes it really is just this one shift if everything else is in place mm -hmm. and a lot of people wonder how is it possible to just have this instant shift because um uh, like you brought up, a lot of people believe that change takes a, a long time. And I would kind of compare it to, uh, have you ever seen that optical illusion where you look at it one way, it's this young lady, and you look at it another way, it's this old woman? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So I would kind of compare it to that where, you know, once you can see it both ways, then the illusion stops working for you. And you can choose to see however mm. however you want. But if you're just stuck in one perspective, then you're like, oh yeah, this is how it is. So in the same way, once you gain more awareness towards your conflicting identities, the goals of them and all of that, you have the zoomed out point of view and then you, know, you don't default to the same patterns that um, you have before. Well, when you're talking about, Tony, the 
defaulting back to the patterns? Is it such that in your process, when they've had the realization, they don't default to the old patterns? Or is it something that they do have to come back around to? And, and maybe this goes back to our Victor Frankl, like stimulus and response in that space, they have to choose again, this kind of what I hear is a new way of seeing like new eyes to see the same circumstances, the same emotions, but see it in a new way. Yeah, it's well, it's it's a completely different shift because the the same emotional response just isn't there anymore, and it, it's something hard to describe for people that haven't felt this before. Like how we know it's a success is you can think about the same problem, and you just have no emotional response. And this has been um, studied and validated by research. So one of the processes I work with, um, it's based on something called PEAT, and that's a therapeutic modality that's been researched and it's been proven to reduce public speaking anxiety. So basically, you know, someone can think about public speaking and they have, or or their, their their public speaking, and they have this anxiety come up. They do the process, now they think about public speaking, they go through, uh, or, or they do it, and they just don't have the same uh, response. They don't have the same like you know fear or the tightness in their chest, whatever, it's reduced a lot. So it's not about like, okay, now I have awareness that I shouldn't be nervous and I can you know make a different decision even though I feel nervous. It's like they literally just don't feel nervous anymore. So I know that sounds kind of um, like a little magical, and I will say the, the disclaimer is it's not like, you know, once you do this, you're, you're, you're just like a completely different person and your life is just amazing now. Um, because just because we've removed one uh, emotional problem doesn't mean you're going to all of a sudden be the type of person who's, who gains more skills or who just takes all the, this action. There's other identities too at play. So there's a lot of things that kind of... Um, come into the picture here, but you're not going to feel the same emotional response, the, emo the automatic emotional compulsion to um, engage in the same patterns that you did before. Mm. I will link the research that you referenced in the show notes so people can dig into that if they want to. Um, that made me think about something else in connection does this have overlap with the same me psychological mechanisms as habits like Charles Duhigg power of habit and James clear atomic habits. They both talk a lot about this, um, you know, cue and trigger and then your response. I think what sounds different to me though about this is this idea that you don't even feel the same, it sounds like there's this distance after going through this process that you don't even feel the same compulsion to begin with. Whereas a habit would be when you feel the trigger, you do have to have some sort of response and you're trying to shift the response. It's back to what I was saying, I think earlier about the soundtracks. Is that, am I hitting on something that is yeah. distinct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so it's related to habits in that there's a, in, our emotional responses are kind of like habits in that, like Pavlov's dogs, if you think about it, yeah. where, you know, something, there's a stimulus and then we respond a certain way. Someone says something, um, you know, rude to us and we respond with anger. Like that's just the default emotional automatic compulsive response, whatever you want to call it. And after doing this work, someone can say something um, rude to you and you just feel neutral. That's, mm -hmm. that's if you, you know, if you focus on that area, it's not like, it's not a cure at all. It's like you have to right. be focused on, I want to remove my uh, you know, reaction to someone saying something rude to me, and then you get that result. So it's very targeted and kind of surgical okay. in a way in the types of emotional challenges that you want to overcome.
Yeah. So specific down to one emotion, one kind of experience versus I will now have no negative emotions. Right. It's not a lobotomy. It's not like we're just removing <laughs> uh, fear in general, but fear of X, we can do that. Yeah. What is something, tell us for yourself, what is a way that you have learned to shift in this way? What is something that maybe you used to experience and respond to that you now have this neutral response? for yourself? I think the big one for me, uh, what I was saying earlier with my, uh, in my story was just that um, I wasn't allowing myself to experience financial success early on when I started my business. And during the processes that I did with my coach, it, um, it just came forward that I had a bunch of guilt, like guilt making, or guilt of making more money than my, than my dad, guilt of, you know, just all, all these feelings and getting rid of that just kind of unblocked me and just allowed me to, um, you know, actually see the fruit of putting in all this work that I, that I had been. Something more recent is I noticed that the more, the more of this that I do for myself, um, and it's, it's been a daily practice for me, that the easier my relationships are. So uh, with my wife, with my mom who's living with us, uh, taking care of the baby, um, it's very rare for me to get triggered. And when I do get triggered, I, I just know that I'm getting triggered. And um, it's like, we'll fight for like, like last minute or last night, we actually had like a, a five minute fight where, you know, it was just very, it was like we were angry at each other and then we both, both realized we were angry. Um, and then, you know, just like resolve so fast and it definitely wasn't like that in the past, but just having this more emotional awareness and just always asking myself, like, what identity am I in? What, um, what am I resisting? What do I want to achieve? And just really feeling present and not believing any thoughts that come up like, oh, you know, she did this wrong. She shouldn't have done this. Da, 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 da. Um, that really allows me to, allows those things to just kind of move on and then I return to a very um, calm and neutral state. Hmm. Why does this matter for work? Let's talk about, it looks like some of your clients are leaders, entrepreneurs, that's some of the space that I'm in as well. And I think that we're past the days, or at least in the circles that I'm around, it seems like we're past the days of, oh, that's just soft skills stuff. That's just emotion stuff. You know, I think people recognize it's important. And yet I still feel like there's more to be done there of like how important. And when I get with my clients on just different organizational development work I'm doing or leadership development, so many times it is. It, it's not necessarily the process. It's like the humans that are trying to interact with each other and can't get out of their own way. Like work would be really easy if we didn't have to do it with humans. Although I don't really know if I want the future to all be also robots because there's way too many dystopian movies about that. But anyway, so why does this matter for work with? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great question. And I used to feel the exact same way. It's like if it didn't produce any external results, I don't care. For me, the realization was getting everything I wanted in life um, externally and just not being fulfilled. So that was just like, okay, like, you know, obviously I'm missing something here. And that was the emotional component. Um, but as far as it being a business advantage, if someone is able to overcome uh, challenges in their, in their work or, you know, uh, roadblocks in their business, because things happen all the time where things don't go the way you want and maybe it upsets you for an hour, a day, a week, whatever. 
you know, some people have like traumatic things, like they have an employee uh, steal from them or, or something. And the faster you can overcome that, that emotional sting and take the lessons and move forward, you know, the faster you can, you can continue to grow and just like stick on your path. And I think a lot of people um, who don't realize this, they'll, even if they're very hardworking and they can kind of just grind through it through willpower, over time it accumulates. And uh, going back to conflicting identities, um, this just reminded me of a, a client I worked with um, who was, he was in the Marines, so he had a, an excellent work ethic, but he would just have these volatile swings where sometimes he would work for like a whole month without leaving his house and be super productive. But then, you know, after that, he's like, wow, that was, that wasn't worth it. So now I'm just going to relax. And then he takes a vacation for a month and doesn't do any work. And now he's not making money. So it's just like oscillating back and forth. So integrating these inner conflicts allows you to be, have some of that, more of that balance and basically make more progress in the long run than just always trying to push with will. Mm. Yeah, I feel like this is very timely too with all of the conversations around burnout and quiet quitting and all the different things. Like people are trying to figure out how to really support their employees and recognizing that it's not the different ways that we're motivated, the different ways that we're made to feel safe. So much more conversation around psychological safety, which I really appreciate. And so I've also, you know, seen a lot of that in just this moment in time um, for employees. Let's go to, I think looking at our time, Tony, would you mind sharing with us any book recommendations? I, I really need to get to your better than Sriracha just personally. I need to know more about that <laughs> as somebody who really enjoys making lots of different types of food. So, sure. So <laughs> yeah. So lately I've been very into spiritual development and, uh, I know your audience is more so, um, teachers and more uh, organizational leaders. Um, but I just wanted to throw some of these books We've out there. We've got a little bit of everybody out there, actually. It's really interesting. Okay. You never know who you're really speaking to. And we have like kind of a wide range of financial people and leadership. I think that maybe the overarching is people who want to keep learning. Okay. Well, that's amazing because I, I hope I can offer a new perspective with some of these books, uh, recommendations. So these are my favorite books uh, or some of my favorites. Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. I, I've read this book probably like 20 times. And um, I can summarize it in two words. It's just be present. But the way he writes about it, you really feel it. And you can apply it in your life because you see the tremendous truth to what he's saying. Uh, levels of energy, Frederick Dotson, um, all about gauging things by levels of consciousness and not so much this is good, this is bad, but seeing how everything kind of has a place, like what we talked about with emotions. And then this is a book from my teacher, uh, Vladimir uh, Stoyakovic. A journey into oneself and if people are more interested in learning more about the processes I use um, Vladimir he, he's a mentor of mine and then he writes a lot about that stuff in in his uh, book wonderful okay podcast or other input sure also so food category <laughs> yeah so we'll just yeah I was hungry last night when I was uh, preparing apparently so this is a uh, chili oil. Um, so since my mom moved in with us to help us take care of the baby, she's been making a lot of Chinese food. And um, this has been like, I've never been a fan of hot sauce or sriracha, but like I use this thing on everything. And it's a chili oil called La Ganma. Um, you can probably find it at any Asian supermarket. I don't know if you can find it at like you know Whole Foods. 
but it's a it's an amazing brand of chili oil that goes well with anything. So if you like sriracha, I would uh, invite you to try this because um, it might change your life. Does it have like a garlic base or a ginger base? Which direction it, or neither? I don't know. Maybe some garlic. Um, I, I I'm not a huge spicy spice lover so i was surprised at how much i love this okay this is i'm gonna check this out (laughs) and then uh the other recommendation is for those that live in uh states where they have in and out for the lucky ones out there um if you get your fries extra well done if you request them make it extra well done uh they taste like chips and it's amazing and it's just like a little hack that i I do i love that uh, Tony, I forgot to ask you where you're located right now. I'm in San Diego. Okay, okay. So you have In-N-Out. So um, I'm near Austin. So we also actually have In-N-Out as of recently. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it great made to see they're expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anything you wanted to say about the podcast that's on here? The podcast? There, oh, yeah. So th- this offering. is a podcast. I don't, I'm not a huge... Um, I don't listen to that many podcasts. And I think this is the one I listen to the most uh, just because of the interesting... Um, uh, the guests that are on there. Uh, so Aubrey Marcus, he has a great podcast. I believe he's in Texas as well. Uh, maybe Austin even. Um, so yeah, so for people that are into uh, spirituality, um, personal development, I'd highly recommend Aubrey Marcus. Now, Tony, tell us all of the places where we can find more about you, your business. What type of clients are you currently accepting? Any of that? Sure. So right now I'm not accepting uh, too many clients. I'm working on um, an app actually that helps people guide themselves through the process that I take my clients through. So something I'm really excited about. Um, it's powered by AI, uh, just like everything else these days. But I was thinking about ways to make my coaching scalable for people that can't afford uh, coaching with me normally. So that's what I'm working on right now. But if you're interested in learning more about what I do or want to reach out to me, uh, you can reach, you, you can co- go to my website, conscious.biz. Wonderful. Tony, thank you so much for joining. It was so um, encouraging, enlightening, um, and I'm excited to hear from our listeners just the things that they take away and just kind of stay connected and follow along in your business journey. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Building Thinkers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a podcast rating and review. That helps more listeners find us in the world of podcasting algorithms. You can find out more about my learning and development strategy services at buildingthinkers.com. And remember, there's no limit to what you can learn. 